0: Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Our last sermon in Ecclesiastes. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're going to read verses 9 through 14 today. You can find this on page 559 in the blue pew bible or 664 in the red pew bible as you are turning there i want to remind you that we have what we call caruso kid zone which is for kids ages 5 to 5th grade Uh, you can go out the back door there mr mark will be leading today Uh, they're going to be talking about the new city catechism question and answer that we did today already in worship And so, parents, I highly encourage you, uh, when the kids come back, to ask them what they learned about that question and answer. Also want to remind ladies, if you are free on Wednesday night, we're going to start a new Bible study, a new women's Bible study, at 7 p.m. here at the church. We have a morning one on Thursdays at 10 a.m., and this week we're going to start the evening one at 7 p.m., 7.30 here at the church Yeah, it was on the screen last week, 7.30. If you show up at 7, that's okay, though. You just have to wait a half hour, socialize, enjoy each other, and there will be people here. Uh, But we want to encourage you to come to that. We want to encourage you to participate in our ministries. Uh, And then finally, we also want to encourage you next week is our family meal. Uh, Once a month after worship, we have a family meal where we just stay together. Uh, We eat together. It's just going to be a general potluck, so bring your favorite recipe. It's always fun. I, I enjoy those. Uh, And as we eat together, we're also going to be hearing next week from the Tunnel family or Tunnel family um, who are going to be missionaries to Poland. They're going to come and report on their progress, and then they're going to stay and eat with us afterwards. So I want to encourage you, remind you that that is coming next week, uh, and so please make preparation. All right, let's uh, stand and read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much studiness is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Father, as we close this book, we pray that you will remind us of all the things that we've learned, of all the ways that we've heard about the superiority of your word over the vanity of this world. Help us to understand in our minds this truth, to hide these very truths in our heart, and to work these truths out with our hands. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I, for one, am sad that we are finishing Ecclesiastes. I have really enjoyed it. It's always fun, too, to be able to tell people, hey, what what is your church studying? Ecclesiastes. And then some people look at you like, is that in the Bible? Because it's one of those books that not many people know about. But today we will wrap up Ecclesiastes. And uh, as we do, just one more reminder, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature written by Solomon Or a Solomon light figure. But again, I think that Solomon is the best example here, especially after what he says today in his closing. Wisdom literature uses a wide variety of literary devices in order to bring forth the truth to help us understand what they're trying to say. And it's interesting because as we look at all the different wisdom literature that there is, the fear of God is the central theme. And we've seen that. We've seen that already. We're going to see that today, that fearing God is a central theme of all wisdom literature. Now, we always say that context is king. Yes, I love it. Context is king. We say that because we want to remind ourselves that in order to understand a book, in order to understand what's going on, we have to understand who wrote it, what they wrote, they wrote it to, what the situation was addressing. And so as we've already said, wisdom literature written by Solomon, it was written at a time when they're moving from agricultural to commercial, a time when they're moving from totally relying on God to being able to support themselves. And the key themes that we see in Ecclesiastes are the word vanity and the phrase under the sun. Vanity means chasing after the wind, trying to capture the wind and hold on to it. Under the sun refers to all the things of this world that aren't of God. And Solomon has been using those all throughout. In fact, we said our first week as we opened up Ecclesiastes, that chapter 1, verse 2 is the theme. Vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And we've opened it up and we've looked at that. And so now we're going to summarize this book and try and pull out and glean some of the most important things from it. In Christianity Explored, which is a, a program for sharing the gospel, one of the examples that Rico Tice gives is he wants you to imagine that you're sitting in a theater and a movie's about to play. And right before the movie plays, you're told, this is going to be a movie showing every thought, Word and deed that you've done over your whole life. Now, How many of you are really excited about seeing this movie? I'm not. I don't want to see the things that I've done poorly. I don't want to be reminded of the bad thoughts that I've had. I don't want to see all the things that I've said wrong. This week, much less over my whole life. If you look back to uh, our text this morning, 2 Corinthians 510 for me we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil that does not excite me it does not excite me because on my own works and watching my own movie i know i stand condemned now we hear the assurance that through faith in christ our works are taken care of by Jesus. But still, the idea of watching a movie where every thought, word, and deed of my life is portrayed is terrifying. It's scary. Because even on my best day, I don't want people to know what I'm thinking. I don't want people to know what I'm saying, whether to myself or to others. I don't know, want people to know what I've done, even when they haven't been able to see that. Because I'm a sinner, and I recognize that. And as we wrap up Ecclesiastes, this book of wisdom literature, this book that's trying to teach us to fear God, we see Solomon not only summarize this text, but remind us and cause us to reflect on the truths that are presented throughout. The truths that come blaringly to the fore as we think about our own sin and our necessity for a savior and so today we're going to talk about two things we're going to talk about the text we're going to look at these few verses that uh, Solomon writes as his clothing or closing and then we're going to talk about the truths not only from these verses but throughout the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes the text and the truth so let's start by looking at the text Solomon, in these verses, verse 9 through 14, is seeking to summarize both his ministry so far and the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Now, I I think that Ecclesiastes was probably written uh, sometime as Solomon was on the rise after he had received his wisdom from the Lord, uh, but before the end of his life. And in verses 9 through 12, We see him talking about his ministry so far. Now, this feels a little weird because he's kind of gone from speaking to you to speaking about himself in the third person, but it's not unusual. Jesus does this as well. Jesus talks about the things that he's done and will do. In verses 9 through 12, we see, uh, particularly in 9 and 10, that Solomon taught his people and carefully conveyed the truths through Proverbs. Look back. Besides being wise, the, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with care. He sought to find words of delight and uphold uprightly write words of truth. He chose his words with care. So when we read Proverbs, when we read Ecclesiastes, we need to know that Solomon wasn't just writing down the first thing that he said or that he thought. This isn't a rough draft. This is a careful draft thought through all of the concepts that he wanted to convey saying it in a way that would stay with people so for example back in chapter four we had this illustration of three chords now Solomon could have said hey work together or be community and I would have been like, okay, great, that's a command. But instead, he gives us these memorable images, images that stay with us and not only give us the command, but show us what happens. He says a cord of three strands will not be broken. Now we're, we're imagining a cord kind of wrapped up and, and braided together and how those three strands are stronger together, can do more together, can hold more together. And that's what a community is like. When we're together, when we're bound together, we can do more, we can hold more, we love more, we strengthen each other more. We're not alone. It's harder to break those cords. And so instead of just giving a command, he gives us these pictures. He carefully paints words. He carefully writes proverbs so that we can understand better who God is. This kind of writing draws us in. It it helps us to remember those concepts because even if we can't directly quote that verse, we understand that concept and we know that concept now. This cord of three strands is hard to break. Solomon sought to teach clearly and simply so that we could all understand, so that we could all picture what it is that God was trying to do. And it's not just that. But God's God's word should guide the people. Look at verses 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Goads were sticks that were sharp on the end or had a nail ending uh, at the bottom of the stick so that if a sheep started to go astray, they could put a little bit of pressure on that point and steer the sheep back into the direction it should go. And so scripture is designed to guide us and to goad us when we go the wrong way. It's designed to tell us where we're supposed to go and to move us back into faithfulness when we start to swerve. It's meant to help us to follow the Lord. It tells us the way that God wants us to be, and when we start to stray from that, it goads us, it pricks our consciences, it drives us back to the right path. And notice, too, and I really appreciate this, in verse 11, they are given by one shepherd. The ESV capitalizes the word shepherd, and I think they do that appropriately, and it's to signify that that shepherd is the Lord. The Lord gives us his word to guide and to goad. He gives us all the things within Scripture to help us know where to go. He gives us all the things within Scripture to teach us what is true. And the purpose of all of these words is the same. The book we studied before Ecclesiastes was 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he tells him, he says in verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God, And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says that all Scripture is given by God, which is exactly what uh, Solomon is saying here, given by the one shepherd, and he says these are why they're given. Teaching, giving us guidance, reproof, and correction, goading us in the right way so that we may be We're not complete by having perfect physical bodies. We're not complete by having the perfect job. We're not complete by anything but through an understanding of Scripture. That is what makes us complete. He goes on to say that of the making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. He's essentially saying we don't need more books to grow in our faith. Now, Probably of all the people in this room, that's the biggest oof for me because I love books and I love to read. And Solomon's like, sure, books are helpful. But just like Spurgeon said, Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Solomon's saying, look, books are going to be made from now until the end of time, but the words of truth to guide and to goad you are found in Scripture and Scripture alone. Solomon's saying, we don't need more books to grow in faith. We need to be obedient to what has already been written in Scripture. Scripture is there to guide us and to goad us. In verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, Solomon says, keep God's commands and trust his Scripture, which is given to guide and to goad. And then in verses 13 and 14, we get the summary of the entire book. So if you had to say what is one verse, you could either go to chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, or you could come to the end and look at verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes is summarized by this. Keep God's commandments. Fear God. And know that he, the righteous judge, will judge all of our actions. He is going to watch that movie. Now, we have hope because of Christ, but he will judge perfectly. Here in verses 13 and 14, Solomon boldly declares that the answer To all of the things that he's talked about is fear God and keep his commandments. In verse 13, he tells us we're called to worship and we're called to obedience. We're called to worship, to fear God, and we're called to obedience, to keep his commands. Worship and obedience. The scripture will guide and goad us into worship and obedience. Fear God, keep his commands. Now, if we go out and start proclaiming this message loudly to the public, it will probably not be a popular message. Fear God and obey Him. Because our culture would prefer us to say, You have freedom and independence. Our culture would prefer us not to say, fear God, worship Him, but they would prefer us to say, you have freedom to do whatever you want in Jesus. Our culture would prefer not to hear, you must obey, because this is what guides and directs you. They would rather say, oh, you have the independence to do whatever you want. But brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It's about God and His glory. O'Donnell in his commentary says this, the words fear and obey sound so constricting. After all, we live and move and have our being in a made-to-order drive-through culture. We like things done our way and done fast. We want to go from fat to skinny, from dumb to smart, from sad to happy, from godless to godly, all with the snap of a finger, the push of a button, or the dial of a phone. We want God in our hearts, fast and easy. But the Word of God corrects our consumer Christianity and spoiled spirituality. The words fear and obey are the precise words that God wants us to reflect on and to heed. Fearing God and obeying His commands are His solution, the only solution that truly satisfies freedom and independence lead us to following our hearts. The world is calling us to follow our hearts. And what does Scripture say about our hearts? They're deceitful above all things. God calls us to worship. God calls us to obedience. Because God will judge our sin. He tells us, Fear God and obey his commandments because that is how you follow the Lord well. And he doesn't leave us on our own, but gives us scripture to guide and to goad us. So verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 are a summary of Solomon's ministry. And then verses 13 and 14 are a summary of this entire book. So now that we've looked at the text itself, Let's look at the truths, the truths that Solomon has given us not only in this text, but all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Now that we've read Ecclesiastes, now that we've finished Ecclesiastes, now that we know what is true and what we're called to do, all of us are automatically going to obey from now on and grow in holiness, right? No. I mean, amen, yes, that would be glorious, but... No. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. This is back towards the front. You can find this on page 291 in the blue ESV. 1 Kings chapter 10. I believe Solomon is the author of this book, and so 1 Kings, I think, talks directly about Solomon. But even if Solomon isn't the author of the book, Solomon is an example that helps us to understand the importance of the truths in Ecclesiastes. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Wow. The whole earth sought out Solomon. The whole earth wanted to hear what he had to say. The whole earth understood how rich and how wise Solomon was. He's in a position of power because of his wisdom. He's in a position of power because of his riches. He is at the top of the heap. That's pretty amazing. Now look at chapter 11, just a few verses down. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses, And three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on that mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, telling us that Scripture is our guide telling us to fear God and obey his commands. Solomon was wiser than anyone else because God had given him that wisdom. Solomon knew the trappings of the world. We see this all throughout Ecclesiastes. He talks about money. He talks about sex. He talks about power. He talks about kingdoms. He talks about land. He says none of those are worth anything. All through Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, they're all vanity. And then in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, he falls prey to that very vanity. Despite being wise, despite being rich, despite knowing what God wanted, he ran from God into the vanities and the idols of this world. He did not follow even his own he had all the knowledge and knew the consequences and still turned away. So if the wisest and richest man cannot maintain faithfulness, how are we expected to do it? How can we avoid Solomon's folly? Now, as we've seen, it's not about us and our effort and it's not about us and our knowledge. Think about Solomon. Who knew better than anybody the trappings and temptations of the world, and yet he still fell? If it was about us, if it was about our effort, if it was about our knowledge, our wisdom, our power, our ability, First Kings 11 would not have happened. Because Solomon, above all of us, was wiser, knew better, and had more opportunity. Had everything he could possibly want, and yet still fell. So if we can't work hard enough, if we can't know enough, if we were Solomon and can't stay obedient, how do we change? How do we take the truths of Ecclesiastes and let those change our lives? We can't do it on our own. Scripture says over and over and over again, our actions, our thoughts, our deeds are tainted by sin. When we say total depravity, speaking theologically, that means our mind, our emotions, and our wills all lean towards sin. So how do we do it? We don't. You see, the only way that faithfulness can occur is through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. What do we say? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel of grace is that you can't do it. You cannot, I don't, I don't care if you are a missionary for a hundred years and see 10,000 conversions. That in and of itself is not enough to send you to eternity. Because without Christ, those are good things for the Lord, but your heart isn't changed. We have to trust Jesus because we know there's no amount of work that can actually get us where we need to be. Instead, we need to trust in the Lord. It was Christ who died on the cross for us. And it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to change us. Without the Holy Spirit, without trust in Christ, we will end up in 1 Kings 11 in some way. It may not look the same as Solomon. Likely it's not going to be a thousand wives. But we'll wind up running from God in some way if we don't trust in the Holy Spirit. So Solomon writes this glorious, beautiful book with all these sayings and and this descriptive language. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. A cord with three strands is not easily broken And yet he doesn't trust. He leans on his own desires and temptations, trusts in his heart instead of the Lord. And if we don't trust in the Lord, we're going to end up the same way. It may not look, like I said, like Solomon, but we will end up pursuing our own sin. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we apply this text? This is terrifying, That that movie that God is going to watch, that maybe all of us could watch of each other, of every thought, word, deed, and action, is not going to gain or earn us eternity. As we said, it's only through Christ and the Holy Spirit and trusting in Jesus that we'll have eternity. But how do we apply this text to our hearts? How do we apply this text to our lives? How do we apply this truth that we see in this text? Well, we can't earn our way to a changed heart. We have to rely on prayer. But we can strive for holiness along with our prayers. Brothers and sisters, this is the hardest distinction in the Christian life. The things we do do not earn or deserve us a place in eternity. The way we get to eternity is only through faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. But because of faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, knowing now that we have eternity that we have the greatest gift we could ever have, then we do things because we're thankful to the Lord, not because we're seeking to earn them, because we want to grow closer to Him, not because we think they'll make us deserve Him, because He is glorious and wonderful and amazing, and doing things on His behalf draws us into His presence. And so we can't earn our way into heaven. Instead, we strive for holiness so that we can Fear God and obey his commandments. Again, O'Donnell says, to fear God embodies faith and hope in God, as well as a genuine love for him. And when by the gift of God, someone possesses the fear of God, sin loses its sweetness and strength. Obedience to the word of God follows naturally because it becomes the delight of the soul when the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of fearing God, then the temptations of this world start to lose their joy. They start to become more and more empty. And instead, we want to obey the Word of God. We want to fear the Lord, because it, that and that alone brings us delight. We were created to worship. Everything in us screams worship. We do that in different ways. Without the Lord, we worship food or we worship money or power or all these other things that Solomon talked about. But all of those leave us empty. We've said this over and over again. They leave us empty inside. There have been celebrities who have said, I wish you could get all the money you want because then you'd realize it's not going to make you happy. The only way we gain joy is through obedience of God. Because the Holy Spirit has called us and the Holy Spirit has given us a fear of the Lord. And so when we have that fear of the Lord, when the Holy Spirit has called us, then what do we do? How do we grow in our Christ-likeness? How do we say thank you to the Lord through fearing Him and through obedience? I think there's two things that this text in particular draws out. While trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit, we can also let Scripture guide and goad us and we can pray diligently. First, we can let Scripture guide and goad us. In verses 9 through 14, we see Solomon is saying he picked his word carefully to help us to understand that we might better know who Jesus is. Scripture is there to guide and to goad us, to instruct us and convict us. But how? How can Scripture instruct and convict you? How can Scripture guide and goad you if you never read it? If this is the time when your Bible is open during the week, it's not enough. It's not enough. Because your phone and your television and all the other inputs in this world are getting a lot more time than the Lord to guide and to goad you. Brothers and sisters, God calls us to be in His Word not because it's going to earn us a place in heaven, not because it's our duty, but because it's our delight. He instructs us. He convicts us. He helps us to be better people and to find pure joy in His Word. When we are regularly in God's Word, the Spirit will guide and goad our actions. How many times did you spend more than minutes in the word this week how many times did you spend more than three minutes in god's word can you at least get to four days a week can you at least get there because i think that as you get there and as you train yourself and as the spirit guides and goads you you will fall more and more in love with what's in here and you will have a greater and greater peace Brothers and sisters, if you're not in the Word, it can't guide you and goad you. Which means that something else is telling you what's true and what's right. And if it's not coming from the Bible, it's a lie. If it's not coming from the Bible, it's not true. And so if you want to know how to live a life that glorifies the Lord, a life that will bring you contentment, a life that will be full, you need to be in the Word. I would encourage you to be in the Word no less than 10, 20, 30 minutes a day to start with. Read a passage. Spend some time praying about it, thinking about it. Write in a journal some of the things that came up. Maybe, if you really want to do this, you can find some friends that you can text and say, hey, I'm just going to text you what I read today. And if I don't text you, text me back. Help me, help me stay true to this this is a great way for you to be guided and goaded into the truth. But not only do we need to let Scripture guide and goad us, but we also need to pray diligently. The Lord calls us into regular, diligent prayer. Paul in Thessalonians says, Be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. Pray continuously. This doesn't mean that you can't ever have a conversation from now on with anyone else. But this does mean that your life is oriented towards prayer. You're seeking out the Lord. You're you're thanking him for things. You're praying for things. You hear about something that happened and you lift that person or those people up in prayer. How is your prayer life? Have you prayed yet today outside of the worship service? Have you prayed this week outside of now now is awesome and great. It's our community opportunity to do that. But God calls us individually to pray as well. Look, there's, there's lots of different ways to pray. You can remember joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And you first pray, thank you, Lord, for all the gifts you've given me. Set my heart in the right way. Pray to the Lord, then pray for other people, prayer requests you've heard, and finally pray for the things that you want. Or you've heard acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You thank the Lord, you adore him, you praise him for all that he's done. You confess your sins, you spend time repenting, you thank him for all that you've, he's given you, and then you ask for the things that you want. Whatever you use, pray regularly, pray diligently. And it doesn't have to be in those patterns either. If you hear about somebody, hey, my <clears throat> I've got this cough or I've got this or or this is bothering my neighbor, stop right there and just say, Lord, I pray for that person. That's all you have to do. Now, obviously it can be longer. You know, I pray that they would come to know you or that this would be healed or whatever the case may be, but pray regularly. Let your requests be made known to God. That's scripture, by the way. Let your requests be made known to God. Pray diligently. But don't just pray for things. Pray for faithfulness. Satan will constantly use the vanities of this world, the things under the sun, the things that have no meaning, no weight, and no joy, to draw us away from the Lord and into a first king's situation. He will constantly use those things to draw us away from the Word and into something else. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you and make you faithful. Pray that God would strengthen you to pursue Him instead of the world. Another commentator, Max Roglin, says this, Will our lives simply amount to vanity? as Solomon's did in 1 Kings 11? Or will we instead listen to what the preacher reveals to both consequential and inconsequential, reorganizing our lives' priorities accordingly? The reader whose life is not changed in some way from studying Ecclesiastes has clearly not grasped its message. You can't read Ecclesiastes well and not change. Because there's got to be places where you're pursuing the vanity of this world. And even if not now, then as Solomon in 1 Kings 11, later, pray for faithfulness. The reader whose life has not changed in some way from studying Ecclesiastes has clearly not grasped its message. The preacher, or Solomon, has put his heart and soul into wrestling with the reality of God, his creation, his works of providence, Mankind's fall into sin and sorrows and joys of living in a broken world, and the hope of an ultimate end of all things that will be better than their beginning. This is not a book to be read dispassionately. Ecclesiastes guides and goads us to faithfulness. One day you will have to watch the movie of your life. One day you will sit with God as he looks at all your actions and your thoughts and your words, the good and the bad. And you'll have to answer for those things. But if you trust in Christ, he will take care of all those things so that at the end of it, you will be clean. We sin every single day. The vanities of this world, the vanities under the sun are always there. God is calling us into scripture and into faithfulness, worshiping him and obeying his commandments. May we, trusting in Christ for our salvation, live in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God by letting scripture guide and goad us and by praying diligently. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for Ecclesiastes, this book that at times was difficult, but always rewarding. Father, we pray that you would encourage each one of us to spend more time in your word, letting Scripture guide and goad us, letting Scripture teach and help us, letting it convict us, letting it instruct us. And Father, help us to pray diligently, conversing with you all day, every day, on our drives, As we're eating, wherever we are, Father, let us be diligent and faithful prayers. Let us pray for our own faithfulness, that we would trust in Scripture to guide and goad us, and let us pray for others as well. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.